Welcome to Paranormal Almanac. With your host, Kurt Sandvig. That's right, I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig, and we are back with another edition of Paranormal Almanac. We're back, I'm a little bit older, and on this edition, let's talk about cryptids around the world, part two, I think. But first, as always, we have shoutouts, so if you're one of those people that complain about shoutouts, please keep in mind that these shoutouts are for the patrons. You can go to patreon.com slash paranormalalmanac to support the show, and these people are doing just that. They are supporting this show. They are making this show possible. But, again, if you don't want to listen to it, just skip ahead one minute, because I'm just going to be shouting out some names of the people that are making this show a better show. So shout-outs to Alexis, Jen, Elizabeth, Frederick, Stephen, Sherry, Art Muffin, Trudy, Tim, Matt, Kenneth, Paul, Ricardo, The Croatian Sensation, Kevin, The Croatian Sensation, Damien and Daniel, Jasmine, Ian, Eric, Brandon, Jen, Alexandra, Eek, George, Connie, Seth, Christine, Jason, Hayden, Cindy, Kim, Adam, Ashley, Krista, Eerie the Cat, love Eerie, Fran, Dave and Sean, what's that? Ian, Lorelai, Kiri, Carrie, Ezram, Robin, Will, Carrie, Jim Kelly, Lauren and Phil Mangano, Bill, Russell, Tanya, Chris, Brandon, I, April, Seth, Isabel, Audra, Dorian, Cindy, Dorian and Isaac, Cindy, Bob, Sean Bishop, Cole, Ah Monsters, Paula, Alicia, Jerry, Leo, Austin, Rachel, Lindsay, Hahn, Jennifer, Megan, Aaron, Amy, Jeff, T, Harley, Suzanne, Joe, Lawrence, Josh, Shelly, Lauren, McCune, Hey Howdy Hi, Lily, Veronica, Nick, Autumn, J Mark, Amber, Carolyn, Martin, Jade, Nanashi, Megan, Heidi, Kira, Pablo, Kira V, Pablo, Chuck, Laura Rutho, Todd Jamie, and Elijah Hendrickson, <clears throat> Juliana, Dan, Laura, GamerFan, and Lauren and David. With a special shout out to Joe Teague. Once again, head on over to patreon.com slash paranormalalmanac for more episodes and more the best group of people making this show a better show. Alrighty, let's get on into paranormal news. Paranormal news. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Paranormal News. First up in Paranormal News, also I gotta say I love the fact that you guys are sending me Paranormal News. And I'm getting a lot of it. And I freaking love it. This is this story right here is one of the ones that was sent to me over on the Facebook page. I absolutely love it. You can put it over in the Paranormal Almanac uh, fan group page. You can put it on the Facebook page, the you know official one, whatever you want, or you can send it to me. But like I said, this story, I was gonna do it anyway. But the fact that someone sent it to me, I absolutely love it. It's a bizarre one. It's a mystery. We still don't know who or why, 
Hopefully, it's extraterrestrial, but helicopter pilot finds strange monolith in remote part of Utah. That's right, a mysterious monolith has been discovered in a remote part of Utah after being spotted by state employees counting sheep from a helicopter. That's gotta be a fun job. Did I count that sheep twice? Shit, I might have. Uh, the structure, estimated between 10 feet and 12 feet tall, appeared to be planted into the ground. It was made of some sort of metal. It's shine in sharp contrast to the enormous red rocks which surround it. Utah's Highway Patrol shared images of both the sheep and the monolith, in case you wanted to see photos of sheep as well. The helicopter pilot, Brett Hutchings, told local news, that's been about the strangest thing that I've come across out there in all my years of flying. He said he was flying for the Utah Department of Public Safety, and uh, he said one of the biologists is the ones who spotted it, and we just happened to fly directly over the top of it. He was like, whoa, 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 turn around, turn around. And I was like, what? And he's like, there's this thing back there. We've got to go look at it. He said the object looked man-made, appeared to be at least firmly planted into the ground, not dropped from the sky. He says, I'm assuming it's some sort of new wave artist or something, or, you know, somebody that was a big 2001 A Space Odyssey fan. And rightfully so. It does look like a very skinny version of the monolith from 2001. After spotting the monolith, the helicopter crew landed to take a closer look. Video from the ground, obtained by the TV, doesn't matter, showed crew members climbing on each other's shoulders to reach the top of the monolith. The pilot said, we were kind of joking around that if one of us should suddenly disappear, then the rest of us make a run for it. They say that uh, bighorn sheep live in some of the most rugged and remote areas and survive in hostile con uh, conditions. And the fact that this thing was put in such a rugged and hostile sp uh, spot or place, whatever you want to call it, is very bizarre. Look, the whole thing is very bizarre. If you haven't seen a photo of it, I'll put it up on Facebook, but I mean, you can just Google it. It's the only monolith in the news right now. It, it's bizarre. It, like I said, it's like a skinny version of the monolith from 2001. Is it aliens? Probably not. I hope they'd be more um, original than that. You know, I, I hope they don't just go, uh, apparently they like monoliths and that's going to be the next step. But who knows? It's about damn time that we get first contact. Alrighty, sadly, speaking of first contact, sadly, in next in uh, paranormal news, I don't have to go to, I don't have to read the whole story. I've talked about it before. The Arecibo Sky Telescope, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but the Arecibo Radio Telescope is no more. They said that the damage is so serious and dangerous, they're just going to scrap the observatory. This ginormous, amazing modern technical achievement, if you will, technological achievement, is gone. It's closed. If you don't know where it is, Arecibo is in Puerto Rico. It's this ginormous telescope. If you ever saw one of the Pierce Brosnan, I think maybe Goldeneye, um, James Bond movies, they actually filmed there on there. It's absolutely incredible to look at, and sadly, it, uh, it kind of crashed in upon itself and then just kept going, and it's no more. So yeah, um, Unfortunately, Arecibo is no more. Up next in paranormal news, this one was another one that was sent by a bunch of you and even posted again on that Facebook page as well. And I loved it. It uh, didn't make me think, well, let me get to the story first. Ninja Turtle-esque green slime sinkhole turns heads in Toronto. All right, that wasn't the first thing I thought of. I mean, obviously I went down that rabbit hole and went, oh, 
Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. But obviously, the first thing that you all should have thought was Ghostbusters. 100% Ghostbusters. Then you can choose between either Ninja Turtles or Daredevil. And a fun fact, they're both the same. The same ooze created both the, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Daredevil. So if you didn't know that, there's a little fun fact for you. But anyhow, back to the news story. Toronto citizens were taken aback this week when a photo of a sinkhole full of glowing green slime made the rounds on Twitter, reminding people of the radioactive sludge that turned normal turtles into the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Posting a pic of the creepy green goo on its page, Blogtoe, man, eh, it doesn't matter, which is described, that eh, doesn't matter either. Um, they posted nothing to see here, just a sinkhole on Hastings Avenue in Leslieville, Toronto. A commenter quickly said, anyone who wants to be a Ninja Turtle, now is your time. Quick, somebody toss four baby turtles in there. Heroes in a half shell, anyone? All right, this is a whole lot. This whole news story is all about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, not about the green slime. Let me see if I can find out what caused the green slime in Toronto, because this guy is just fixated on the, on the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Let's see... Uh, if you have a radioactive slime bubbling up from your sewers on your 2020 bingo card, cross it off. Photos of a sinkhole on a street in Toronto have been making the rounds on Twitter. The green slime inspired bystanders and Twitter users to make references to Flubber. Ooh, I didn't think about Flubber. That's a good one. Ghostbusters, obviously, and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. In reality, this all happens all the time, not just in Toronto. According to Toronto Water, the sinkhole was filmed with green, non-toxic dye in order to determine whether the water was connected to the underlying sewer. So there you have it. Not, uh, huh, not exactly paranormal. That's kind of anticlimactic. I should have stopped at the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle, you know, story, the one that was just focused on them, because, huh. Yeah, up next in paranormal news, that might be too loud. No, it's not too bad. Okay, we'll keep going. I talked about this one uh, on one of the live episodes that has not been... Um, that has not been released yet. I have a bunch of live episodes that I'm going to get out this week. I'm hoping, fingers crossed. It's just a lot of editing and playing with the sound, and I just, frankly, I haven't had time for it. I just got over a cold. Thankfully, it was not COVID. I went and got a COVID test, so I'm, you know, negative. But because of that, I am just, I was just kind of out of it, not really doing anything last week, which is why there was no new episode last week. But they're saying that sightings of the Loch Ness Monster... And Champ in Lake Champlain are up. So, again, more Loch Ness. That's all there is really to that story. I don't want to read the whole damn thing. But again, 2020, as shitty as it is, has given us a lot of Loch Ness. And now it's even given us some more in uh, Lake Champlain as well. And now it's given us even more in Lake Champlain as well. Look, I'll take a Nessie story any day of the week, especially if its sightings are up. Alrighty, up next in paranormal news, from Wessie to Nessie, this Portland museum offers a crash course on cryptids. But hey, that's what this episode's about. That's right, that's what this episode's about. That's why I added this one to paranormal news. They say your walk in the Maine woods just got a little bit more exciting. Why Maine? Is it Portland, Maine? Huh. I thought it was Portland, Oregon. Apparently I'm wrong. They're, uh, they talk about uh, the things around you. Is it a giant white specter moose, a cryptid canine, a giant snake? Well, if you don't know, you can head on over to the International Cryptozoology Museum. This place is high on my list of places to go to to record a new episode. I would love to go to this museum, 
record an episode from there. I think it'd be so freaking cool to be able to do episodes live from the International Cryptozoology Museum. They say that um, along the Portland's Four River has been a rail yard slash industrial site, but now it's home to a brewery, a distillery, a children's museum, a theater, and the newly expanded International Cryptozoology Museum, an intrigue of hodgepodge of all things cryptid. They go in to explain what a cryptid is. If you guys don't know what a cryptid is, you're really not going to enjoy this episode, or it's going to be very surprising to you, one of the two. But they said that they have a two-level space, holds 20,000 exhibits and objects, including traveling exhibits like Bigfoot Revealed, currently on display. It recently added more space and doubled in size, but the museum is still compact and twisty, enhancing its cabinets of curiosity feel. Additional signage, blah, 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 doesn't matter. Um, but it goes on to say that you can see just about every cryptid you're looking for. Now let me find out where exactly it is. Oh, it is in Maine. It's Portland, Maine. Oh, okay. So it's in Portland, Maine, and the International Cryptozoology Museum is 4 Thompson's Point Road, Suite 106 in Portland, Maine. It's open daily, $10 per person. So if you're out that way and you don't go to this, you're, you're dumb. I mean, this place is awesome. It's what I want. I want to go to this museum. So hopefully after all this is over and I can actually start traveling with Paranormal Almanac, this will be one place that I get to go to. Again, hopefully, fingers crossed, they'll let me record an episode live from their museum. Up next in Paranormal News, the be-all, end-all place to see all kinds of paranormal videos, mostly fake, is still TikTok because, again, every week, Every time I look for paranormal news, it's another TikTok video where you can see something paranormal, some kind of cryptid, something ghosty, creepy, something in the background that they didn't notice until after it was uploaded. How they could not notice on most of these is beyond me. But still, if you guys aren't on TikTok or at least searching TikTok for paranormal videos, you're missing out because there are a crap load of them. Just an absolute ton of them. They said in a now viral video, Anna Banana, with a whole lot of A's, can be seen showing off a drink can. It looks like um, a White Claw can when something spooky happens in the background. So for today's drink... Oh my God, something's kicking the curtains. She runs back, she punches it. There's nothing there. But what was kicking the curtains? You'll never know. Why it was open the way it was, why the curtain was sitting just where it was sitting, well, that's called um, BS. That's basically what it's called, BS. But again, if you guys like the paranormal and you don't mind sifting through a lot of BS, well, the hell was that? Hold on one second. Speaking of something paranormal, what the hell was that? What was that, Stitch? I mean... Huh. Oh. I have no idea what fell, but something in my bathroom just fell, made a loud noise, scared both Stitch, well, startled both Stitch and myself. So, apparently, if you want paranormal things to happen in your house, just talk about shitty TikTok paranormal videos. That's all it takes. Okay, let's keep on keeping on. I got so much story to, or so much show to get to, and I'm getting stuck on uh, 
ghosts in my house. Real quick, they found pristine extraterrestrial organic compounds discovered in a fireball meteorite that hit the ground in 2018. That's right. Extraterrestrial organic compounds have been found again in meteorites, leading everybody to say that life probably happens a hell of a lot more than they used to think it happens. Okay, um, UFO sightings are up this year, again, for another year. I'm trying to skip through some of these. You know what? That's enough for paranormal news. Let's close up the paranormal news bag and let's get back into the, uh, the episode itself. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back with Cryptids Around the World, Part 2. That's right, we are back. Before I get into the show, head on over to storeenvy.com, search Paranormal Almanac for all your Paranormal Almanac merch needs. I've been told, again, I don't really do much more than, you know, I upload the designs and then this site takes care of the rest. I don't have a lot of control over it, but I've been told new sizes are there in stock. New styles are finally in stock. New colors of some shirts are in stock. And if you order now, you can get them by Christmas, including sweatshirts. Apparently there's sweatshirts as well. So head on over to storeenvy.com, search Paranormal Almanac for all your Paranormal Almanac merch needs. Alrighty, like I said earlier, I think this is the second Cryptids Around the World episode. But if not, I'm sure someone will correct me, but let's take a look at some of the lesser known cryptids all around this very round Earth. Kurt here. You're going to hear Kurt mispronounce a lot of words. And I mean a lot of words. Kurt doesn't speak Spanish, or Japanese, or Chinese, or Colombian, or Brazilian, or Portuguese, or I don't know. Look, the point is, you're going to hear Kurt mispronounce a lot of words. One, I'm sorry, I'm stupid. Two, please don't comment like this guy mispronounced Madre Daguas. I can't believe he doesn't know how to say Look, I, I don't need that kind of shit. I get that enough shit from myself right here. So, you've been warned. Okay, back to the show. So we're going to start in Cuba and then kind of just bounce all around because honestly, I don't feel like sorting these east to west or north to south or coming up a way, coming up with like some way to sort them, like going around the globe, sticking with just North America and then, you know, whatever. I figured random is as good a way as any. Let's start with Cuba for the Madre de Aguas. The Madre de Aguas is a legendary snake that is horned has bulletproof scales, and is as fat as a palm tree. I don't know why they got to fat shame the snake, but the snake is huge, basically, and it lives for hundreds of years in the rivers and lakes of Cuba. Now, legends say that it can eat an entire calf in minutes, but I couldn't find one single eyewitness story throughout history. It just seems to be all legend. It's more like an urban legend than an actual cryptid. But could a large snake live in Cuba? Yep. In fact, there is one. It's called the Cuban boa, and it's huge. It has recorded lengths of at least 15 feet, so it's not hard to see where this legend comes from. And if you do see a ginormous snake, call it whatever the hell you want, you still have a ginormous snake in front of you in Cuba. So, 
First one on my list, I'm gonna say probably not real, but there's not a lot of paranormal stories that escape from Q, if you will, so who's to say? Maybe it is, and I just couldn't find the eyewitness stories because Cuba has a clampdown on paranormal stories. Don't know. Alrighty, up next, let's go to Colombia and Ecuador for the La Tunda. There, it's spotted in both Colombia and Ecuador, in case you were wondering why I said it like that. Now, it seems this legend is mostly from the Afro-Colombian community, and Latunda or Latunda is a hag who lives in the jungle that has the power to shapeshift into the person you most desire, or the form of a loved one, like a family member, usually a mother. It then lures its victims into the forest and feeds them shrimps that she has farted on to keep them hypnotized and docile as she slowly sucks the blood out of you. Yeah, you heard that right. You heard that right. Look, I don't care who you shapeshift into, but if my mom comes walking out of the jungle, hands me shrimp she just farted on, I will A, not eat the damn shrimp, and B, not follow her back into the jungle. So if you get fooled by Latunda, that's on you. That's a weird one. Columbia, you got weird cryptids. But I'm not even done yet. My favorite thing about Latunda or Latunda, is her shape-shifting abilities aren't even that good. All the legends say that no matter who she shapes into, shapeshifts into, she will always have a wooden leg in the shape of a monilio, which is a basically a wooden kitchen utensil used to stir hot drinks such as hot chocolate that I'm sure I didn't say properly. But again, she shapeshifts into the person of your desire Except her leg is shaped like a giant wooden spoon? Who are you fooling? Now, Latunda also bears many similarities to a more common South American mythical creature known as the Patasoya or Sola, who is a beautiful woman that comes out of the jungles to lure hunters or loggers back to her den. Then, she changes into a one-legged, hooved vampire that sucks them dry. I don't even know, man. That's just a whole lot of batshit crazy in one cryptid. All right, staying in Colombia for a bit, let's go over to the eastern plains near Venezuela for El Cibon. El Cibon, or the Whistler, is a two-meter-tall, very thin, very gaunt creature that wanders the plains at night whistling a scary tune. He's also carrying a large bag of his father's bones because legend says when he was alive... He murdered his dad when his hunter father didn't bring him back a deer heart. His brother then whipped El Sabon and threw hot pepper onto the wounds, fearing that that wasn't enough to keep the brother from killing more people or running away or whatever. He then chased El Sabon off with his dog. Look, I've never had deer heart, but it can't be so good that it's worth murdering over. So... If you're in Colombia and you hear whistling, know this. This is important. Listen, this could save your life. If you hear his whistle, it is said to sound close when he's far away and sound far away when he's very close by. So, if you hear whistling really far away, yeah, basically you're fucked. So what happens? Well, he picks a home's doorstep to stop and counts his bones. And if you don't listen to his whistling and him counting the bones, 
Someone in your household will die at sunrise. So you have to listen to them. If you hear whistling far away, next thing you know, you hear him counting, I guess out loud. I don't know how you hear him counting and whistling. You got to listen. You got to sit there and listen and go, okay, I'm listening. We're cool. Yep. Hear that. That's what 12. There you go. So how do you protect yourself from the whistler? You keep a whip, hot pepper, and a rabid dog around at all times. And I think that's just good advice for everyone. If you take anything away from this episode so far, it's two things. One, don't eat shrimp that have been farted on. And two, keep a whip, hot pepper, and a rabid dog with you at all times. All times, people. Alrighty, let's head into the Amazon for this next one. It's El Mohan. El Mohan seems to be a shape-shifting Bigfoot who seems to go after young girls, you know, to get freaky with. So apparently it shape-shifts to something that will attract young girls. So, I mean, I, I don't know, I assume it shape-shifts into Harry Styles or some YouTuber or TikTok moron, but, but it never says when it shape-shifts back. Does it shapeshift back like before or after the sexy time? So let's hope it's not until after, you know, it gets the sexy freak time on with the teenage girls. Because if not, that's just, I feel sad for all of the teenage girls wandering the Amazon. Which I'm sure there just must be dozens of those. Alrighty, let's keep on keeping on in the same area. Let's talk about El Hombre Cayman. Or Alligator Man. I like Alligator Man. So legend says that Alligator Man was once a fisherman who liked to spy on the naked swimming women in town. Now he was transformed into an alligator by the spirits... No, no, Stitch, stop. Now they say he was transformed into an alligator by the spirits of the Magdalena River. Now here's the, here's the legend itself straight from Wikipedia. They say that a long time ago there was a very womanizer fisherman named Saul Montenegro, who was fond of women who bathed in the water of the Magdalena River. Anticipating he could be discovered amongst the trees, he went to Alta Guaria? I don't, Alta Guajira, Guajira. So that a sorcerer could prepare a potion that would temporarily convert him into an alligator so that the bathers would not be suspicious and could be admired at his pleasure. All right, I'm gonna pause right there. So the bathers won't be suspicious of this creepy alligator that's sitting there leering at them? Wouldn't they, I don't know, get out of the water because there's a ginormous man-sized alligator that's swimming towards them, watching them while they swam naked? Just saying. Anyhow, the sorcerer prepared two potions, a red one that turned him into an alligator and a white one that made him a man again. So good old Saul was enjoying... uh you know, looking at the ladies for some time, but on one occasion, the friend who gave him the white potion could not accompany him. In his place was another man who, seeing him as an alligator, was freaked out and was like, oh my god, as an alligator, so he drops the white bottle with the liquid that makes him man again. Before spilling completely, though, some drops of the liquid splashed only on Saul's head so that the rest of his body remained turned into an alligator. Since then, it became the terror of women who did not return to bathe in the river. Well, yeah, that's even creepier. All right. So apparently he's he's sort of like a werewolf figure who returns every St. Sebastian's Day. Just in case you don't know, 
St. Sebastian's Day is January 20th, so you still have time to prepare to celebrate St. Sebastian's Day. So uh, he comes back every year, every St. Sebastian's Day, to hunt for victims. And the legend is mostly talked about in the town of Plato, it's in Colombia, and in fact, that town has the Festival of the Alligator Man held annually. There's also a square and a full like monument, statue, whatever you want to call it, in his honor. So the legend of Alligator Man was immortalized in the song Seva El Quemon. I know I'm getting all this wrong. By Jose Maria Peñaranda? Sure. So let's listen to a little bit of the Alligator Man song. I don't know about you, but that is the best song about a pervy half-alligator, half-man that I've ever heard. So good on you, everybody. Uh, let's gonna, I'm going to cruise through the next three from Colombia, because they're all just as weird. The next one's called El Borraro, or The Pale One. Now, it's basically a dude covered in black fur, but with backwards feet. Now, even though he has these huge fangs... He actually kills its victims, or he kills his victims, whatever you want to call it. It kills its victims by bear-hugging them to a pulp in, his, in their own skin. So basically, he crushes the bones so fiercely, they become powder. So what do you do if you see El Barraro? Well, that's easy. Before he can bear-hug you and crush you into pulp in your own skin, you knock him over. Because legend says it doesn't have leg joints, so it'll take a while to get back up. Alright, good on ya. I guess you gotta hope he doesn't come at you from behind, because then you're screwed. Then you're pulp in a human skin. Alright, on to La Boya de Fuego, or Ball of Fire. The Ball of Fire is a two-meter ball that rolls across the ground on dark nights that is said to carry the spirit of a cursed mad woman. It said the woman was cursed after killing her husband Juan because he asked her to make 60 sandwiches for him and his friends. The ball of fire, yeah, I know. The ball of fire is said to hunt down people named Juan. So how do you stop her? Well, you know, besides not being named Juan. Well, if you're in Colombia and this ball of fire rolls up to you and stops right in front of you, don't stop, drop, and roll. For this ball of fire, it's swear at her until she leaves. Fuck you, ball of fire. Yep, that's right. Keep on swearing at her, and eventually she'll roll away. Some weird ones in Colombia, man. All right, finally for Colombia, let's talk about the evil chicken. El Pollo Malino. This is a chicken that wanders the jungles and forests. If you hear its clucking, it's too late. Because it will somehow attract you deep into the jungles and then eat you. You guys got to stop going into jungles. You guys got to stop being lured into jungles by stupid things. If you do, then these things will go away. But apparently there's a lot of people out there that it's just all too easy to lure them into jungles. Now here's my question though. What if the thing you most desire is a chicken? Is it then Latunda? Or is it the mad chicken? Like, 
Which will it be? Is it the evil chicken or is it Latunda? If the thing you desire most is an evil chicken, Latunda will turn into an evil chicken, except for we'll have, I guess, I guess what you got to look for is when you're looking at the chicken, does it have a wooden spoon for a leg? If it does, that's Latunda. Don't follow it into the jungle. If it doesn't, it's still an evil chicken. Don't follow it into the jungle, people. All right. Getting away from Colombia. Let's move on over to Africa for the Namibian, Namibian flying snake. It's a yellow brown with light spots, nine to 25 foot long snake that can camouflage like an octopus or a chameleon. Now it is said to have a bioluminescent crest, horns, a neck that can inflate and deflate easily, possibly by gulping down air. You know, kind of like lizards do. I don't know why that's so... I mean, the rest of it's crazy, but that's not too crazy. And most non-snake-like, leathery, 30-foot, bat-like wings that it flies around with. That's right. It truly is a flying snake. It's said to make a loud and frightening roaring sound. It's also said to smell like tar and to get into the air. It hurls itself down hills or off high cliffs until it can kind of flap its way out. So to me, though, it doesn't really sound like a snake at all. It sounds more like a bat, but everybody's saying snake, so I'm going with this. It's a flying snake, but this one. This one actually has sightings, and a lot of them. It seems like the earliest Western spotting of it, if you will, sighting of it, was in 1942 by Michael Esterhues. He was tending to his flock of sheep on a farm 60 kilometers west of Keetmanshoop when he saw a massive snake hurl itself down a hill, then into the air. He says it didn't happen just once. It happened twice. It was coming for his sheep. Now, it was next seen in the late 1950s. It seems, it's kind of fuzzy, but it seems like it was next seen in the late 1950s on a farm near Goagib. Sure, why not? By a group of farmers and missionaries. Now, they found it among seven dead sheep, all that had been killed by a bite to the neck. Now, they also noticed that the sheep and the land around them was covered in like a tar or a soot-like substance, which would probably, you know, explain why it smells like tar. Now, another sighting was in 1978, where a French farmer who was tending his cattle in the Karis region, when he saw a bright white light, and then he noticed it was heading straight towards him. Then afterwards, he heard a massive thud, and he heard one of his cattle moo in pain. Now, as he rushed to check what attacked the cow, he said, you know, there's this ginormous snake with bat-like wings. He said to the local police, I saw what looked like, as the best matching description I can give you, is what looked like a dragon. It had a white bright light on its head, which was blinding me. The color of it was brown and yellow. It had green eyes. There was a tar-like smell coming from it. And it had smoke coming out of its nostrils. He then made a drawing of what he saw. And yeah, it pretty much looks like a dragon without legs. So that's freaky. I like that one. That one actually has actual sightings by a bunch of different people, including missionaries who are not ones to, you know, get drunk and make up stories. At least I don't think so. All right, for this next small section, it can I can safely say that no matter where you go on Earth, you can find a Bigfoot. 
So let's go to a few Bigfoot section on this podcast and crank them out right now, just a few of them. First up, Michigan Bigfoot. Bigfoot is all over Michigan. It didn't used to be like that. When I was growing up, I was never told, oh yeah, if you want to see a Bigfoot, go out into the woods in Michigan. I would have done that in a heartbeat. I would have been looking for Bigfoot all the time. But nowadays, at least in the past 20 years or so, Bigfoot is everywhere in Michigan, including a woman in Gladwin County, Michigan. And I know where that is. I had family in Gladwin County. She says that um, the forest behind her house in Gladwin County, that she has seen a Bigfoot daily for the past 15 years, right in her own backyard. So, um, you know, Bigfoot hunting shows, perhaps you want to start there just sort of hang out with her for a few days in her house. If she sees it daily for 15 years, there's probably a good chance you're going to spot a flipping Bigfoot. Now, I'm not going to give out her name, but she made a report with the local newspaper, so it's not hard to find. And if you are her or know who I'm talking about and happen to be listening to my voice right now, I would love to interview you. Hey, I'm from Michigan. I grew up in Michigan. I got family in Gladwin County. I want to chat with you. Up next, let's talk about the Yaren or the Wild Man. Now, it's known as Yaren, Yaren, or the Chinese Wild Man. I think it's pronounced Yaren. That seems to be the most common pronunciation that I can find. It's a reddish Bigfoot, 6 to 12 feet tall, in the remote forest, forested? forested mountains of western Hubei in China. Now, there have been hundreds of sightings of the Yaren, or of what locals call a bear-like man, and hundreds of footprints found. In fact, the Yaren sightings predate Sasquatch according to some sites. Now, I couldn't confirm that, but it does seem like this thing has been around going back hundreds of years which is in line with Sasquatch. Again, no matter where you look on this earth, the indigenous people of that area have been talking about a Sasquatch-like creature forever, for recorded and non-recorded times. Alrighty, so here are some sightings from the Yaren. Uh, Let's see, some sighting stories. April 4th, 1994, a park ranger was in a remote area of the reserve. He said he saw on a hillside about a third of a mile away, a Yaren sleeping there. So he calls out and wakes it up. The Yaren wakes up, looks over at the park ranger, watching him for a bit, kind of like, why the hell did you wake me up? And then just got up and walked away. He said, I wasn't sure if it was a Yaren, but it was weird that it got up and walked off on two legs. It was definitely not a bear. For some reason, they have to kind of give credence to this guy, and they said that he's been a park ranger for a long time, knows all the indigenous animals, knows the area quite well, and is very reliable. So, you know, you gotta believe him. A New York Times article uh, from 1984 actually talked about the Yaren. It's called On the Trail of the Wild Man of China. And now, it has a few more encounters, including... In 1980, a hunter caught a small yaren, but he let it go when it saw its eyes fill with tears. It actually started to cry. Now, I didn't know this, and I can't really confirm this. I haven't looked it up to confirm it. I guess I could look it up right now. But the reason this was such a big deal is that apparently 
Humans are the only primates that cry. So let's find out. Can gorillas cry? Oh, wow. They cannot cry. Even when... Um, the only way that they know that gorillas understood cry was they were teaching a gorilla sign language and it said sad, frown, cry, bad. And it cried out with a hooting sound but didn't cry, like literally cry. Uh, Darwin thought that monkeys and elephants wept, but modern scientists believe the only animal to really break down in tears is us. No, oh, well, there you go. All right, that is kind of cool then. So yeah, this guy saw the Yaren start to cry when he caught this tiny Yaren. And he let it go. He felt bad, so he let it go. I like that. I like that story. Okay, let's keep going on here. September 1979, a cowherder in Fangshuan County, I'm sorry, I don't know, said he encountered a Yaren that took hold of his wrist and maintained his grip for a half an hour. Now, as the Yaren held on to his wrist, it laughed. All right, that's either the creepiest thing or the cutest thing. I don't know... I wasn't there. The guy didn't say like, and then I pissed myself. So it doesn't really say what happened to this guy. It doesn't say how he got away. Did it just kind of like let go, stop laughing and walked away? Was the guy doing something funny? Did he have a funny shirt on? There's not a lot of details into this one, but apparently if you're lucky, the Yaren just might come over and just hold you for a while while it laughs. All right, 1978, hunters in the Rongjiang County were sitting around a campfire when a Yaren purportedly just walked up and joined them, it sat down around the campfire with them and even added wood to the fire. The hunters said that they were so scared that they pretended it wasn't there. Yeah, I'm sure you convincingly, you know, pretended that this Yaren, this Bigfoot, didn't just walk out of the jungle, sit down next to you, throw another log on the fire and just kind of look around at you. And if, it, and if you did do that, that's kind of a dick move. It could have just killed you from behind. You were facing the fire. It could have taken the wood and clocked you on the head, killed you that way. It seemed to me that it just kind of wanted to sit down, enjoy a fire, and hang out for a bit. And you dicks ignored it until it was like, fine, and then walked away. I'm calling dick move on that one. All right, 1976, a commune party secretary reported a, a commune party secretary? I don't know what that is reported seeing a Yaren run off carrying a small pig. That seems more Bigfoot-like. May 14, 1976, a vehicle carrying six regime officials purportedly encountered a Yaren. Now, the men were so high up in the government that when they, you know, told them of their sighting, it caused a massive hundred-man hunt to find the Yaren. The only thing they could find were footprints and probably their own tears. All right, so the Yaren is so popular, it even made its way to the big screen. Now, I'm pretty sure you've all seen the Yaren, you just didn't know it, because that was the creature that was on the back of Jack Burton's 18-wheeler uh, truck at the end of Big Trouble in Little China. Remember that at the end? He's like, oh, old Jack Burton signing off. And there's that creepy reddish-haired thing on the back of his 18-wheeler. Uh, that was a Yaren. Alrighty, another Bigfoot that has a ton of sightings is the Hibagon. Now, this one comes from Japan, and like I said, numerous sightings. It's said to be about five foot tall, so not exactly Bigfoot. I mean, it has big feet, but it's not tall. But they say it's a five foot tall with chocolate brown face covered with brown fur 
and white fur on its feet, sometimes its chest, and it's said to have deep, piercing eyes. Sounds like a sexy Bigfoot. All right, here are, the few of the, here are a few of the sightings, though. One from early 1970, a group of elementary school students out picking wild mushrooms in the forest of Mount Heba, Hiba, were startled when an ape-like creature came running through the bush near them. July 1970, the Hibagon was spotted by a utilities truck driver. The driver reported seeing a gorilla-like creature on two legs walk across a field near a dam, run across the road, and then disappear into the forest. Several days later, July 23rd, it was then again seen, this time coming out of the brush and the long grass in front of a surprised farmer. Now, he described it as being as tall as an average man, covered in black fur, but having a grotesque face with piercing, intelligent eyes. It's always the piercing eyes with the Hibagon. Now, the Hibagon was also sighted walking through a, a uh, rice paddy in the town of Saijo around that exact same time. So it seems to be that there's more than one of them. In December of that same year, they found a bunch of tracks. And I mean tons of tracks from the Hibagon. And in 1974, it was spotted crossing a road. The driver described it as moving along in a series of hopping leaps. July 15th, a woman saw one near her house and described it as very ape-like, like a gorilla walking around on two legs, about one and a half meters tall. In 1980, one was seen fleeing across a river near the town of Yamano, where it became known as the Yamagon. So those two are kind of like intermingled Depending where you get your info from, some say it's just the Yamagon, some say it's just the Hibagon. It's the same thing. In 1981, it was seen on a road near a health center. In 1982, it was spotted, this time holding what looked like some sort of stone tool, maybe an axe. Now, even though it was sighted so many times, the last known sighting of the Hibagon was in 1982. So hopefully, it's still out there, doing fine with those piercing, piercing eyes. Those sexy, piercing eyes. Okay, I could keep going with more Bigfoot, but this isn't just Bigfoot from around the world, although that's a damn good idea for an episode. This is uh, cryptids from around the world, too. Electric Cryptid Boogaloo. So let's mix it up a bit, and uh, let's talk about the melon heads coming from Michigan, mostly. But it's also supposedly seen, they're also supposedly seen in Ohio and Connecticut. So what the hell is a melon head? Well, strap in because there's a lot of versions. The legend says they're small children who suffered from hydrocephalasis in a local hospital. Hydrocephalasis is a disease that causes the buildup of cerebrospinal fluid in or around the brain. So they get big melon heads, if you will. I'm sorry, I'm not calling you that. If you have hydrocephalasis, I would never call you a melon head. Now, some sites say that the hospital closed, so they just let the kids go out on their own. They were like, well, you know, sorry, we ran out of money. The hospital's got to close. Kick the kids out. Fuck them. They're in the, we're in a hospital in the woods anyway. Kick them out. They're, they'll be fine. Other sites say the children ran away due to abuse from the doctors. Other sites say the melon heads lived in the woods between Kirtland and Chardon, Ohio. The story was there was a doctor named Dr. Crow who just lived out in the woods and performed evil experiments on a bunch of children, possibly children from a mental hospital. One night, the children revolted and burned down the doctor's house, and now they roam the woods. 
just looking for human contact. All right, here's what I can tell you. Just like every other urban legend about insane asylums in the woods, it never existed in Michigan, it never existed in Ohio, and I'm gonna, spoiler, it never existed in Connecticut. So the one in Michigan, people say that the melon heads were spotted by the Felt Mansion, and even though it was once a prison, it was never an insane asylum, but you know how urban legends grow and morph and mutate and get, you know, total bullshit? People saw this mansion in the woods, someone told them about melon heads, and they kind of went, oh, it must have been an insane asylum back in the day. Nope. In fact, you can go to the Felt Mansion today, but I'm doubting you're going to see any melon heads running around. Okay. Speaking of Connecticut, here's the Connecticut version. Fairfield County was the location of an asylum, no it wasn't, for the criminally insane that burned down in the fall of 1960. Nope, never existed. This resulted in the death of all of the staff and most of the patients, with only 10 or 20 inmates unaccounted for. Now they supposedly survived and escaped into the woods. The legend states that the melon head's appearance is the result of them having resorted to cannibalism in ordering to order to survive the harsh winters of the region and inbreeding, which in turn caused them to develop hydrocephalus. Now, some versions of this story say, oh, it wasn't an insane asylum and it wasn't a prison, but it was a campground. And the inmates or patients with the employees, staff or camp goers or whatever, they broke free, they escaped, they were being abused. You know, you choose your, you know, choose your own adventure for this bullshit, but ultimately, None of it is true. Or, there's one more. Or, it's a group of escaped mental patients who inbred and all live in a house on Dracula Drive in Fairfield County, Connecticut. Or, 15 other counties in Connecticut. Surprise, Dracula Drive doesn't exist. Look, I love a good urban legend. You guys know I do. But this is just BS on top of BS. I'm not even done yet. The final Connecticut version is the Melonheads are descendants of a colonial era family from Shelton Trumbull who were banished after accusations of witchcraft were made against them, causing them to retreat into the woods. It's all bullshit. It all, and it, and it devolves into inbreeding and all that other crap. It's BS. Sorry, BS. No matter what version you hear, I can tell you, I can't find one credible melon head sighting ever. So with that, in case you didn't know, in case this is a surprise to you, the melon heads are just an urban legend. So with that, let's call this part one of Cryptids Around the World 2. Uh, except now I got to figure out, do I name the next one Cryptids Around the World 2 Part 2? Or Cryptids Around the World 3 Part 1? Look, all I know is this is Part 1. I had so many cryptids that I had to figure out a cutting off point. And I figured Melonheads in its, all its infinite versions is the best spot to put a pause on this one. Say, alright, that's it for this episode. The next episode, fear not. The next episode is already written and ready for recording. Coming soon, same Paranormal Almanac time, same Paranormal Almanac channel. Alright, so that about does it for 
these urban legends. Some of them, lots of sightings. Other ones, total BS. I kind of dig the cryptids, though. I kind of dig them. There's some bizarre ones out there that I would never have even... I can't even imagine how the story of some of these things came to be. You know, who said, oh, yeah, yeah, then she farts on shrimps and hands them to you, and those shrimp make you docile and hypnotized, and then she drains your blood. Yeah, that's right. Like, that's just weird. But I love a good cryptid story. Some of these are freaking awesome. Now, again, there are a ton more, way more Bigfoot, way more other cryptids, and way more BS coming at you. But if you're free... You can tune in this live, uh, tune in live this Friday. That's November 27th, 7 p.m. Pacific time. Sorry, you're gonna have to figure out your own time zone. This Friday, November 27th, 7 p.m. Pacific time for the next live call-in show. You can go to Facebook Live or you can go to twitch.tv, Paranormal Almanac for both. I get a lot of people saying, you never tell us about these live shows. I wanna know about them. Well, I do. If you subscribe to the uh, Twitch channel, it'll alert you that I have, you know, scheduled, upcoming episodes scheduled, if you will. If you follow me on Facebook, a same same thing there. It'll tell you, hey, new event this Friday, 7 p.m. Pacific time. So, I hope that you guys tune in. I think it'd be fun. I, I like getting all these new listeners and all these new callers. Look, it's just me. There's nothing, if you're afraid to call in, there's nothing to be afraid about. It's just, it's just me. And even if you don't want to call in, tune in because the chat room is the best. People are talking about stuff in the chat room that is phenomenal. Some very informative, some very funny, some very inappropriate. Some, some of the best questions that you hear me ask, I get from the people in the chat room because they're listening to these, you know, callers as well going, Oh, I want to know about this. Oh, I want to know about that. It's a great group, no bickering, no fighting, no nothing. They're just awesome, cool people. And if you want to, you can email me your story and I'll read it on the air. You can put it in the chat, in the chat room, and I'll read it on the air if you don't want to call. But I always, always, always prefer it to hear it from you guys because then the way I get to hear it as everybody else gets to hear it. And I love a good personal paranormal story. Again, I hope you guys can join me Friday, November 27th, 7 p.m. Call in. It's going to be fun. It's going to be great. Um, or wait till next week for the next second part edition of Cryptids Around the World. I hope you guys like this one. If you guys have... Oh, that's what I wanted to ask. If you guys have a cryptid that I haven't brought up and you think I might not know about it, please... Email me all your random weird cryptids from wherever you live or wherever you're from. I love finding about finding out about these cryptids. And that's where I found out about a couple of these was in that chat room on the live show. So again, hope you guys enjoyed this one. Once again, I'm your host, Kurt Savig, and this has been another edition of Paranormal Almanac. Immer für Wurmer, Schieder, Freak.